morning, City Church. If you would stand with us this Rodeo Sunday. I don't own any boots, so I didn't wear them, but I certainly hope you did. And you get an opportunity today to take some pictures with your family and just enjoy a little bit of extra fun. But we're so grateful that you're here this morning. Every Sunday I walk into this place, I just get excited for a moment for whatever God wants to do. Like, why am I here this morning? Because God wanted to meet with me. So if you would join us this morning as we worship, as we praise, as we get excited about our Lord.
morning we welcome you. Lord, we welcome you with all that we are. This morning, God, we're listening. That you would be here with us. That we would see you. That we would hear from you, God. God, we're just your kids. And we need you this morning to be our father.
See, the promises of the Lord are only good if you know them. You have to know what he has promised you so that you can walk in the authority of that promise. So when he says you're his son or his daughter, or that you're washed clean, or that he can move the mountain, you got to know that truth deep down in your heart. And your circumstances don't dictate the truth of God. The truth of God is the authority in your life, not what you're looking at. So maybe you think God's timing is off. Maybe you think that his answer is delayed. But the truth is that the goodness of our God that can move mountains is right here. Through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. So as we get ready to sing this last song, with all of our heart, God, we reach out to you. God, help us to see that your timing is never off. We just may not understand it. Help us to grab a hold of your goodness in the midst of whatever circumstances we're facing. Because the truth and the character of our good God, of you, Lord, is all that matters to us. This morning, with all of our hearts, God,
Lift your hands right where you are if they're not. In total surrender to the Lord. Father, we're yours. 
Our heart is yours. Our life is yours. Father, we were created to worship you. Glory to God. You realize you were created to worship God. You were. You were created by God to worship Him. It's our avenue into His presence. It's our avenue into His benefits. It's our avenue. It's our road. It's our pathway into a deep, meaningful, life-altering relationship with Him. Oh, that worship would consume us. Glory to God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are in this house. More importantly, you are refreshing us and refilling us with your presence as we drink you in today. We worship you today, Lord. We worship you. Let our worship extend out beyond just the words of our mouth. Let the worship be an extension of how we live before you. How we love other people. Let our worship touch every aspect of our life. Help us with that, Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. You're seeking worshipers today. So we worship you today in spirit and in truth. Glory to God. Glory to God. Father, I pray for every person in this building. Lord, you know what's going on in their life. You see every detail. Father, let them know that you're on the job, working on their behalf in every area that they need you to be. Glory to God. And Father, we surrender ourselves to you. We cast all our cares upon you this morning. All of our anxiety, all of our all of that stuff that weighs us down, we cast it over on you. And we're free in Jesus' name. Say, I'm free. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Speak blessing over your people today, Lord, because it belongs to all of us. And thank you for what you're doing in this moment in our life. But not just here, Lord, thank you for what's going on in the children's ministry in the building next door, that you're ministering to the hearts and lives of the kids. All of our lives are going to be better because we were in your presence today. And we thank you for that. And we give you praise, acknowledging you in all of our ways. Thank you for directing our path. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Amen. Are you glad you're in the house of the Lord? How many are glad you are the house of the Lord? Amen. He lives in you. Amen. Praise God. Well, if you're here for the first or the second time this morning, we just want to welcome you to City Church. Thank you for coming and being a part of this service today. We just believe that, that God is going to do something great in your life. And we're trusting and believing that, that when you leave here, you're going to leave better than you came. Amen. So if you're here for the first or the second time, welcome to City Church. And as soon as service is over, if you don't mind, go out outside. the, the, the uh, In fact, there's a card right there in front of you. If you'll fill that out with as much information as you're comfortable with and take it outside as soon as service is over. We have a gift that we'd love to bless you with. Come on, City Church. Welcome all of our first and second time guests. We're glad you're in the house with us today.
And before you're seated, once you walk around, don't just walk to the same person or somebody you know. Go to somebody you don't know and welcome them to the house of the Lord today. God bless. what's going on this week at City Church. Don't forget city groups are going on now. Visit the table in the foyer to find one near you. Save the date for our spring picnic, Sunday, March 29th. Easter's just around the corner and we need your help. Check out the bulletin for more information. If you're new to City Church, we'd like to ask you to fill out the Start Here card located in the seat pocket of the chair next to you or in front of you. We are City Church. Amen. One more time, give the Lord a big hand clap for all he is and all he's doing. Amen. Welcome to Rodeo Sunday. How many are excited about what God's doing today? Amen. Well, that didn't sound real good, but I'm just going to believe by faith we're excited. Amen. It's going to be a good day, not just because it's Rodeo Sunday, but because you're here, we're here, God's here, and he's going to do good things. Amen. Well, welcome to the house of the Lord today, and just get ready. I believe God's going to really speak to us today. How many want to hear something from the Lord today? I know you do. So you know what? Just set your heart with expectation and just open it up and let him speak to you. Amen. But right now, we're going to set the tone and release our faith through our tithe and offering. How many are ready to honor the Lord with your tithe and offering? I know you are. We get excited about giving here at City Church because it's a part of who we are. Amen. We don't give to get. We give because we love the Lord. We give because his word instructs us to. But at the same time, 
the promises of God belong to those who are faithful givers. Amen. To those who are faithful tithers. God tells us in his word to bring the tithe to the storehouse. Amen. That he uses you and I to be a blessing to his kingdom. Just think about it for just a second. If it wasn't for you and I giving, God couldn't do his work in the world. Amen. That's how important this is to him. That's why he says he considers it holy. He considers this moment. He considers every penny that you give into his kingdom right now an extension of your faith, an extension of your worship. He calls it holy. It's important to him. So we're partnering together with the tithe and offering this morning. Thank you for your faithfulness to this body. Thank you for your faith in the Lord. Amen. And so as we honor him today, just know that every, every penny you sow is a seed going to do something powerful in the kingdom of God. I believe that. And I believe it's not only that, it's working for you in your life as well. Amen. So let's receive the harvest by faith. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the privilege of giving. Thank you for the privilege of taking that first and best 10% of the increase that you bring into our life. And even though it sounds crazy to the world, it doesn't compute in our mind. Thank you, Lord, that is a kingdom of God principle that when we act upon it, it goes to work. So, Lord, bless City Church. Bless the kingdom of God through this offering. But, Lord, also let the harvest come back into the hearts and lives of your people today who are faithfully giving to your kingdom through their faith. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you as you honor the Lord this morning.
Amen. Why don't you give the band and singers a big hand. Amen. What a blessing they are to us. God is good, right? You know, that's one of the number one characteristics. I was thinking about this as we were singing this earlier. That is one of the number one characteristics that God, from the beginning of time, tried to relate to humanity, that he is a good God. Amen. It's the truth. In fact, the declaration of many of the psalmists was, oh, that men would understand the goodness of God. Oh, that men would praise God for his goodness. I mean, it was just a, something that God was constantly trying to get into the earth, that he is a good God, that he is for us, that he wants to do good things in our life. Amen? And that's one of the reasons why I don't believe God likes religion at all. Because religion, when I say religion, I'm talking about legalities and, and rules and regulations. Because what that does is that presents God in a light that just doesn't make him seem all that good. The Bible even says this. It says that the goodness of God draws man to repentance. Amen. I mean, when God says it's his goodness that gets us out of sin and straightens our life out, that's pretty amazing. Amen. So we serve an amazing God. So listen, just real quick before we get into the message today. Uh, our Easter egg hunt's coming up, our big 10,000 egg uh, hunt, and we need your help. So you probably noticed as you came in that all the Easter eggs are out there. So if you can go and, and take some packages, and if you bring one package, if you take one package, how many packages should you bring back? If you take five packages, how many should you bring back? All right. So take some eggs and go home and fill them up if you don't mind. Fill them up with hard candy. Don't put chocolate in there or anything that could melt because of the sun or ants could get into. We don't want that. But fill them up and bring them back and it's going to make that day an amazing day. So go ahead and get your notes out. We'll be there in just a second. But uh, So we are in uh, part two of our, our study of the book of Ephesians. And I hope you got something last week. I hope God taught you something. I know I told you I have literally over the years, I have read the book of Ephesians thousands of times. Thousands of times. Um, and just even in, in as much study, and I've outlined it, I have, I've done word studies just verse by verse over the last 30 years. And even in, in this, I'm even learning so much more. I, I learned so much more this week. How many know that there's always more to know? There's all, always more to learn, so don't ever think that you know it all. Every time you go to the Word, just pray, God, show me something more. Show me, and He will, amen? He'll show you stuff. It'll amaze you. But I've been learning so much, and I just, I'm glad that I had the privilege of being able to share that with you. And so, so last week, we talked about in Ephesians chapter 1, just uh, the, the, the beliefs that he was, Paul was laying out for us that he wanted our lives to be built on. We saw in, in, in that chapter, we saw the heart of God. We saw the provision of Christ and what he did so that we could connect with the heart of God. And then we saw the work of the Holy Spirit. We saw all three of those in chapter, in chapter 1. And I actually gave you two words that I really want to keep in front of all of us throughout this entire series. Because it really is kind of the, the essence or the theme that, that the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate to us in this book. But it's not only this book where it matters. It's also throughout all of Scripture. And the two words, the first word I gave you was this one right here. It is the word orthodoxy. How many remember that? Orthodoxy, which simply means Christian beliefs. So throughout all of Scripture, God is trying to establish orthodoxy in our heart, in our mind, in our thinking. He is trying to establish Christian biblical beliefs in our life. And the second word that we talked about last week was this, orthoproxy. Remember that word. And what that word means is Christian practices. 
that throughout God's word, not only is he establishing a belief system, he is also encouraging us and showing us how we can put that belief system to work for us. And that the, that the big challenge for all of us is get those two words as close as we can in our everyday life. Amen? It's so important for us to do that. Because we talked about the fact, and now science thinks that, that they are the ones that created this or discovered this, but it's really not true because this is a God principle. We talked about the emerging factor. Remember the emerging factor? That anytime you put two things together, something will always emerge out of it, right? Put one and one together, what emerges? Two. You put blue and yellow together, what emerges? Green. You put uh, water and 32 degree temperature together, what happens? What's the emerging factor? Ice. Anytime you put two or more things together, there will be what is known as the emerging factor that comes out of it. And the reason why I lay that out there to you is simply because when you and I, when we merge our orthodoxy and our orthoproxy together, something is going to emerge out of that. Are you with me? It's so important for us to understand what is it that emerges out of it. Well, we could spend another hour talking about this, but James tells us what the emerging factor is when you merge those two things together. We're going to get into the message in just a second. He says this, but be doers of the word. In other words, establish a life of principles of living, not just hearers. In other words, don't just believe the word. Don't just shout about the word. Don't just hear the word. Don't just say the word is good. What do we do? We need to do the word. Because if we don't put those two things together, what are we doing? We are deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. And he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So it's kind of like this. That if you, you go to the word and you come to church and you, you shout about the word, but you don't put it to practice, it's like walking up to a mirror in the morning and combing your hair. And then leaving the house and wondering if your hair still looks okay. Come on now. You got to pull the mirror out to see. And so what he's saying is keep the mirror of God's word in front of you at all times. So that you won't just be a hearer, that you'll be a doer of it. And so what emerges out of those two things? But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. In other words, we don't just shout about it in church. We take it with us. And it's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. What? Here's the emerging factor. He will be what? Blessed in what he does. What is the emerging factor that comes out when we, when we combine orthodoxy and orthoproxy? Christian beliefs and Christian practices. Blessing. Ble everybody say blessing. Blessing. So I left this challenge with you, and we're going to get into the message here in just a second. That the biggest challenge we face as Christians is closing the gap between what we say we believe and how we live our life. Amen? How many struggle with that gap? We all do. We all struggle with that gap. Some of us get that gap closed for a little while and then it opens back up. But we all struggle. There, there's not, there's not a one of us in this house. Let me just set you free right now. Okay? There's not a one of us in our house that would want anybody around us following around us 24 hours a day. Seeing some of the stuff that's going on. Come on now. 
I know you don't have to admit that, but I know it's true. We need to close the gap. And here's the deal. God is constantly working and wants to help us close that gap. And he doesn't care how wide it is. He'll meet you right where you are. So don't ever give up on God because he's never going to give up on you. And so we move out of chapter 1 into chapter 2 and we start addressing. Paul's going to begin to start addressing closing the gap. He's going to begin to talk to us about all the amazing things in chapter 1 how we can put them to practice in our life. In fact, I mentioned this to you. That's really how Ephesians is set up. Chapter 1, 2, and 3 is all about our belief system. Chapter 4, 5, and 6 is all about putting those belief systems to practice. Now, there's a lot of things that are in chapter 2 that we just don't have time to talk about today. We'd be here for hours. But we, there are some stuff that I'm going to skip over today because we're going to talk about them when we get to chapter 6. Because there's a connection between chapter 6 and chapter 2. But before we do this, I want to I introduce this message with a video. How many were waiting for that? Many of you know, and I'm not just showing you this video just to show it to you. Why are you laughing? I am not. There is something that I want to share that God showed me in this that will help us to understand chapter 2 of Ephesians. Many of you know that I spent a long time competing in the sport of rodeo. And God used rodeo in my life in a huge way. I got saved through rodeo, radically transformed through rodeo. I met Stacy at a rodeo. Amen. I still live uh, by the, the disciplines that I developed during that time in my life. So this is a little bit different than last time Pastor Kellen did something to it. Now, let me just warn you and let me just put a disclaimer on this. He insisted on this song being the background music part, okay? I pushed back on it, but he would, he would, he would not give in to it. So what you're going to see is some, some videos of me writing uh, back in the 80s, uh, late 80s. And then I want to share something with you and then we'll dive into the message. So guys, whatever we need to do, roll the video.
I shared that with you because I want to share something with you about that. Some of those, well, not some of them, those, those, those videos, they were from the late 80s. And even as I was standing here watching those videos, every single ride that you saw, I can remember every single jump. I can, receive, I can remember every single moment of every one of those. I can remember when I was in a good position, when a horse came around a corner. I can remember when I slid off to the side and got out of whack. I remember everything about those rides. I share that with you simply because that is the same problem that many of us face in our life today. The reason why I can remember the emotion of it, what I was experiencing at the moment, how it felt, is because it was ingrained in who I was. It was ingrained in my thinking, my actions, everything about me was dedicated and committed to that. And so here we are as Christians, and God has done something radical in our life. But the truth of the matter is this, is that your past life experiences are still speaking to you. You can mentally and emotionally go back to the hurts, to the pains, to the disappointments, you can relive those things in your life just like I can relive those. And many times in our life as Christians, that's what's holding us back. Our past experiences are still speaking to us today, and they are competing with what God is saying to our life. Are you following me this morning? And the enemy will use those things to hold us captive to the past. Why? Because our past, whether we like it or not, is ingrained in our being. Now that doesn't mean you have to give in to it. But you have to know how to deal with it. Because the enemy will use it against you in your life. So in your notes. Paul is going to begin to help us to understand how to deal with with the past so we can embrace the future. He's going to help us to close the gap between those two events in our life with some revelation that he's going to build on from chapter 1. Are you with me? So let's look in your notes. The first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul starts off like this. And you he met alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And when she once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for speaking to us and helping us today. We love you, Lord. You are Lord God Almighty. And, Father, we acknowledge you in all of our ways today. I just pray the spirit of wisdom and revelation would just flood our hearts and minds and that we would leave here today with greater revelation and understanding of all that you want to say to us through chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians to help us not just to be hearers of it, but to be doers of it, to put it to practice in our life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... 
Amen. So the main thought that Paul is trying to get across to us in these opening verses and throughout the rest of this chapter is this. He draws us a picture of the before Christ and the after Christ of who we were. So we can understand them both, so that we can lay them side by side. Because see, in the mind of God, when you got saved, you went through a huge transition. How many know that? You went through a huge transition internally, externally, in every area of your life. The power of God transformed you. And he wants this transition to become a part of, of our mind and our thinking and the way we live. So the more we understand it, the more we can connect with it. And the more that we connect with it, the more it will silence the voice of our past. The more it will bring health and healing to us in areas of the past that have messed us up. And it's important for us to understand that. Because just like I was experiencing all of that stuff that we were looking at that was years and years ago, our past is still calling us back. And we need to recognize that. Because too many Christians, they start off in the kingdom of God. And then down the road, they go back to where they came from. And the reason why that is, it happens is because they don't truly understand what God really did for them. And so he gives us a before and an after picture of our lives in chapter 2. And we've all seen the before and after commercials, right? Maybe it's a weight loss commercial. They show you the before and they show you the after. Inspiring you to, to, to buy their product because this is who you were and this is who you could be. We've all seen them before. The, maybe it was a hair growth commercial and some of us can probably use that today. You know, you got bald-headed here, and then you've got a full head of hair here, and something happened to, uh, that to, to, to make that transition. Or, you know, maybe it was a, uh, maybe a house makeover on any show. This is what it looked like before, and, and this is what it looks like now. And that's what Paul is doing. He's giving us a before and an after. For what purpose? To try to inspire us, to help us to understand what our Heavenly Father has done for us. Because, see, there was a time in my life where I was a professional bareback rider. And I turned my back on that when God told me to follow him and to lay it down. Because he called me out of it. I laid it down. Which means what? It means that the moment that I laid it down, I was no longer a bareback rider. That that thing was in my past. It was behind me. And it's so important for us to understand that what God wants to do and wants to help wants us to help us to do is that because we're Christians now, to lay the past down, to put it in the past, to turn your back on the life that we lived before we came to Christ. And some of us may be, you know, maybe you're a new Christian here and, and you don't have that much time between when you gave your life to the Lord and, and, and where you are now. But some of us in here, we, maybe we've been living for the Lord for a long time, but our past is still controlling us. It's still speaking to us. And Paul wants to break that thing today. So he's going to talk to us about the past. And he's going to talk to us about the future, the before Christ and the after Christ. Why? So we can stay away from it. I literally, whenever I gave up rodeo, I had to stay away from it. Because I was afraid that if I re-engaged at any level, that it would pull me back. And I knew that was not God's call for my life. 
I wouldn't go to rodeos. I wouldn't talk about it. I wouldn't watch them on TV. In fact, you probably don't know this, but there were many years where I wouldn't even buy a pair of boots for Rodeo Sunday. And I had to borrow Bobby's, didn't I, Bobby? Every year, Bobby, can you bring your boots? And I borrowed his boots so I could wear them because I didn't want anything to do with my past because I didn't want it to call me back. And see, your past is calling you back too. Are you with me this morning? And what God wants us to learn to do is to say no to it. Because we went through a transformation, guys. The very moment that you gave your heart to the Lord, the very moment. And you know what? I can hear somebody saying right now, well, my past is not calling me back. You better watch it. You better watch it. Because it's out there and it's waiting for the moment. And it'll use a circumstance. And it'll use maybe some pain that you go through in life. It'll, it'll, it'll use some challenge that you're facing to just say, you know what, it ain't worth it. This God stuff is just not worth it. And it'll leverage that against you. But see, the reality is, and I'm so thankful, he's not just going to give us our past. He's going to give us the after effects of Christ. But here's the transformation that you and I went through when we were saved. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there's that phrase again, in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. Say, I'm a new creation. I am a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen. I used to quote this when that desire to go back to the bars and go back to the alcohol and go back to the drugs, I would tell myself, no, Rusty, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's a lot. Are you with me? Here's, a, here's another verse, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion or from the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of a son of his dear love. So not only is your past behind you and you have a bright future because you're a new creation, he has, he has broken the power of darkness over you and set you in the light. Here's another passage in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. You need to believe that. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Why do you live by faith in the Son of God in the flesh? Because the flesh wants control. And it takes faith to overcome it. I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's like he's reminding himself of why he doesn't go back. Because God loves me and he gave himself for me. And it's so important for us to understand that God took us through this amazing transition from the old to the new, from the darkness to the light, from us living to him living in us. And he wants us to do more than just shout about it. He wants us to do more than that. He wants us to experience this newness. He wants us to live out the transformation. He wants us to close the gap between the voice of the past and the voice of God speaking to us now. He wants us to awake out of the sleep that the world can put you into and experience the new life in Christ that he has for us. And Paul is going to talk to us about that in chapter 2. In fact, it's one of the main plans of Satan is to deceive you and I into going back to where we came from. Because if he can get us to do that, he can sever the blessings of God that actually legally belong to us. 
And so in your notes, kind of wrapping up that whole thought right there of what Paul is talking to us about and the transformation that God took us through, here's, here's what I want to wrap it up with before we get in. That the before Christ me needs to be swallowed up in the after Christ me. That who you are now as a believer needs to swallow up who you used to be as a non-believer. Are you following me today? And so Paul is going to walk us through. He's going to give us the before picture and he's going to give us the after picture. And I want us to just, I want us to let God speak to us today. The first thing he's going to do is he's going to give us five characteristics of who we were before we came to Christ. And it's very enlightening. The first thing that we see in your notes that he speaks to us about, he says that we were spiritually dead. Before you came to Christ, before you knew the Lord, you were spiritually dead. Now, a lot of people don't understand this, but this is the state that all, everybody say all, all of humanity is in before they receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. He said it like this in, in the second part of verse 1. He said, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Before we came to Christ, we were dead in our sin. We were spiritually dead. Now, in order to understand what that means, we have to understand that there are three words in the, in the Bible for the word death or dead. And it's these three right here. There's a physical death. Physical death is simply the separation of the spirit and the soul from the body when somebody passes away. You go to a funeral, somebody is, uh, there's a body in the casket. Well, that person's spirit and soul is no longer there. That is what is known as physical death. There's also what is known in Scripture as the second death. This is the lake of fire. This is, in the book of Revelation, after somebody has died in the state of being spiritually dead, that they get the opportunity, not the opportunity, they get the, the torment of spending the rest of eternity in the lake of fire. This is what's known as the second death in the book of Revelation. The other death is spiritual death. Spiritual death simply means this, separated from God. I am separated from God. I am alienated from who he is. I am not connected to him. That's what spiritually dead simply means. And many of us can probably go back into our life before we came to Christ and knowing this, we can recognize, man, I was spiritually dead. I had an emptiness on the inside of me. God was not real. I wasn't in contact with him. That's because we were spiritually dead. We were separated from God. In fact, this is what is known in Scripture or in the theological circles as being hopelessly dead. Hopelessly dead. Look at what it says in the verse 12. It says, having no hope and without God in the world. The reason why this is known, and this is the kicker of it, of why it's known as being hopelessly dead, is because when you're in that state, you can't do anything about it in your own power. You can't, and see, this is what religion tries to fix by good works. But how many know that doesn't work? Good works, being a good person, doing good deeds, coming to church does not bring you out of spiritual death. It just doesn't. In fact, George Whitfield, in the very last message that he preached in, um, in September 29th of 1770 made this statement, works 
works? A man get to heaven by works? I would as soon think of climbing to the moon on a rope of sand. In other words, it's impossible that when we are in a spiritually dead state, we are hopelessly dead. And the reason why we're hopelessly dead is because we can't do anything about it and our own ability. We're going to undo this in a little bit, but let me just keep going through these other before pictures that Paul gives us. It doesn't matter how good we are, how good we try to be. You cannot raise a spiritually dead person from the dead with good works. Before Christ, we were spiritually dead. The second thing that he tells us is that before Christ, we lived according to the world. We lived according to the world. He said it like this in, in, in the second verse there, the first part of it. He says, we walked according to the course of this world. That word walk means this, that we were governed by the world around us. It means that the world around us, the flow of it, the value system of it, the way it thinks, the way it believes, the way it lives, the way it operates, the culture of it, before Christ, we were following its course. We just woke up in the morning and went with the flow. We were living according to the world. It was directing our life. We were in the world, we were of the world, we looked like the world, we lived like the world, we blended in perfectly with the world around us. How many remember those days? There was no difference. We lived according to the course of this world, and the reason why this is hopeless too is simply because the world around us, you know what it does? It gives us promises. It promises us success, it promises us fulfillment, it promises us fun, satisfaction, completeness, completeness of life, only to lead us down a pathway of hopelessness that leaves us empty and grasping for more, but never being able to reach it. How many remember those days? Oh, my word. We were hopelessly dead. We were living after the world, which was hopeless. I, re I remember, I remember being spiritually dead, empty inside, no purpose, nothing internally satisfying, in search of something that the world promised it could not offer. And see, when we live like that, what happens is the world will have you living in circles, right? I remember, some of you probably remember this kind of too in your own life, but when I was at a rodeo, I wanted to be at a bar. When I was at a bar, I wanted to be at a rodeo. When I was high, I wanted to be sober. When I was sober, I wanted to be high. Come on now. How many remember that? It's this vicious circle that the, that the world keeps us on this merry-go-round, always promising us something but never being delivered. The truth about it, guys, was before Christ, we were a train wreck. We were a train wreck. Why? Because we were spiritually dead disconnected from God we were living according to the world and the third thing that he tells us and it's actually because of those two things in your notes number three we were under control of Satan that's a tough one and I know sometimes people don't like that people get offended at that but the truth is the realm of spiritual death and the world is where he operates it's where he operates. That is his garden, so to speak. And we're going to deal with this aspect of this truth when we get to Ephesians chapter 6. 
But Paul says it like this. He said, you were living according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That means that because we were spiritually dead before Christ, Satan had control over our life and our eternal destination. Let me just pause and just say this to you. Do you know why unbelievers act like that, the way they act? Because they're unbelievers. Because they're spiritually dead, because they're controlled by the world, because they're under the influence of the enemy. And so because that's the way they act, and how many remember we used to act like that too? Let me just give you a tidbit of truth here that will help you with some frustration in your life. Stop trying to deal with unbelievers' behavior. You can't change their behavior any more than anybody could change our behavior before Christ. You need to change the spiritual condition of their heart. So you pray for them. Set an example for them. Are you following me this morning? We get so frustrated sometimes with people who are, and actually even, even believers who have gone off you know, the wrong path. Stop dealing with their behavior. Deal with their heart through prayer. And trust God to do something in their hearts and in their life. But the unbelieving world, the spiritually dead condition, that's, that's Satan's, that's, that's his playground. In fact, John said it like this. We know that we are of God. So he's drawing, drawing a contrast here. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Before we came to Christ, guys, Paul tells us we were spiritually dead, separated from God. We were living after the world. We were under the control of Satan. And the hard truth is that every person around us that does not know Christ is living that same life. The fourth thing that he tells us on top of those, we're going to get out of this in just a minute, okay? Is this. We live for fleshly desires. And I'll say this can still be a problem with believers and we'll deal with that too. But before Christ, Paul says you live for fleshly desires. Look at what he says in verse 3. Also, we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind. We all know that's true, right? Before Christ, we did whatever our fleshly carnal desires wanted to do. And we liked it. Right? We liked it. We couldn't wait to do it again. Why? Because we were controlled by it. Our flesh said jump and we said how high. Because it was our master. And I want to point something out to you. That's so important. And we don't have time to develop this today. But just want to give this thought to you. I want you to notice what Paul says here. And he says it in a couple of other books of, that he wrote. He said that before it, we were fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. This is a huge truth for us. Because you know the difference between a non-believer and, an, and, and a believer when it comes to the appetites of the flesh? There's only one, dis, one difference. They fulfill it and we don't. They say yes to it when it says jump. We say, no, I don't have to. Are you following me? 
that as an unbeliever, we were fulfilling all those desires. We were doing whatever it said. As a believer, we don't have to fulfill them. We don't have to go down that pathway. We don't have to fulfill those things. We can tell it through the power of God. No. Everybody say no. And maybe some of us are here today, your, your life is just kind of messed up. You're a child of the king, but, but you're being controlled by stuff you shouldn't be controlled by. Let God help you learn to say no. Paul said it like this in the book of Galatians. He said, and those who are Christ have crucified. In other words, I've put to death my flesh with his passions and desires. In other words, I'm no longer living after it. Because that's the old me. That's the old me. Man, if I, had to, if I had to try to get on a bareback horse right now, I can't imagine how bad I would be hurt. Don't laugh. There was a time. I say that to you because when we get reconnected to the world, there's no telling how bad we can get hurt. There's no telling how bad that that spirit of this world and fleshly carnal desires and being connected to the spiritually dead things out there, how bad it messes our life up. And Paul is trying to help us to understand the before picture. Here's the fifth thing he says before we move on. We were subject to God's wrath. And that's kind of hard for us to understand on this side of it. But it's the truth. We're spiritually dead, separated from him. We are under the wrath of God. He went on to say it like this. And we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. That's the wrath of God that comes on the unbelievers. Before Christ, listen, it was our nature that had us all messed up. How many know that before Christ, we were not sinners because we sinned? No, we lived in sin because we were sinners. Because that was our nature to do that. It was our nature to sin. That meant God's blessing was not on us. His wrath was on us. And that's why he sent Jesus. That's why he sent Jesus, so we can change this whole thing around. So what Paul wants us to understand, that it was not something that we were doing, it was who we were. That's why you can't change it with good works. That's why you can't change it by trying to turn over a new leaf. You have to have a spiritual experience in God to get you out of this state. You have to have that experience. It's so important for us. So I believe with all of my heart that one of the reasons in your notes why he draws this contrast and tells us this is as bad as it is, and we don't even want to hear it and talk about it, the reason why he gives us this picture in your notes is right here is simply because when you understand the darkness, it helps you appreciate the light. When we understand that if it hadn't been for Christ, if it hadn't been for what Jesus did for us, that every single one of us would be stuck in the realms of darkness, spiritually dead, train wreck, train wreck after train wreck after train wreck happening in our life, empty on the inside with no purpose and no meaning in life. And so he lays that out for us so we can understand the darkness and hopefully it will help us to appreciate the light. Too many Christians... When they get in trouble or they just kind of live half in and half out of the kingdom of God. And in doing that, we, we miss. We miss all the amazing things that God has for us. 
And it takes a spiritual experience, religious stuff, ritual routines, all of that. None of that will change the condition of us. We had to have somebody come down like Jesus and offer us something to bring us out of this state. Something had to happen for us to put the before Christ picture behind us. And we see it in John chapter 3. When Jesus is there and he's ministering and there's a man who comes to him by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a pretty prominent man in the, in the community, a religious figure, but he had questions. And he comes to Jesus by night because he doesn't want anybody to see Jesus talking to him. But there's something going on in his heart. He wants some answers because he knows there's something real. And he sits, comes down and he tells Jesus and kind of gives him all these accolades. And, and it's really kind of comical. We don't have time to look at it. But he talks about how amazing Jesus was and all his teaching and how good it was. And, and Jesus doesn't even respond to that aspect of him. He just kind of lets him finish talking. And then he says what he wants to say. And this is what he says to him. And Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so when Nicodemus hears that, he's like, he just kind of trips out because he's like, he's thinking naturally. He's, he's thinking like, how can this happen? And so Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's room and be born? He's trying to figure all this out naturally. And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water, that's the natural birth, the, the, the mother's water, born of water and of the spirit, that's the new birth, cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Nicodemus is having this understanding kind of dilemma, and he's thinking natural. And, but Jesus is speaking spiritual, and what he says to him is, Listen, the only way that you can come out of the state of spiritual death and all the nonsense that goes with that is to have a spiritual experience, which is called being born again. Being born again so important for us because you know what this is where it all starts when you become a new person I remember I remember walking into Victory Christian Center Pastor Tony Krishak was preaching and giving my heart to the Lord and walking out of there a new creation how many remember your days like that I walked out of there free I didn't do anything but say, yes, Jesus, come into my life. And there was a spiritual experience that exploded. And it was just really kind of funny because one of the things that I was so aware of, I mean, it was just the most dominant trait uh, in my thinking when I walked out of those doors and I can still remember it was like, man, all the cussing's gone. I just, it was like gone. I didn't do it. It was just gone. How many remember those days? The weight of sin was gone. The fleshly carnal desire for the things of the world, it was gone. And it all happened in an instant. And so what Paul is fixing to tell us is that even though all this stuff is who we used to be, here's who we are now. That once you give your life to Christ, 
Once you get born again, here's who you are now. And we just need to believe this. Ready? He says it like this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. You've got more verses than I'm going to read this morning. He said, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Two most powerful words in all of scripture right here. But God. The but God means this. It means there was something that was in a certain state, but God intervened and it changed. But God. We were spiritually dead, living after the flesh, controlled by the devil, under God's wrath. But God, but God intervened in our life. Why did he do this? Because he had to? No, because he loved us with a great love. Not because you did anything or I did anything, but because he loved us with a great love. And now Paul is about to tell us what this but God Thing did for us so he can help us to understand that we don't have to live in the before that we used to connect with so the first thing he tells us th- is this ready in your notes is that now I've been made alive glory to God that's shouting ground right there guys I'm alive say I'm alive listen you could be dead spiritually but we are alive Paul says it like this in verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. You are spiritually alive because you've been born again. That you're not separated from God. This is the greatest promise in all of scripture because it's where it all starts. This born again experience. When the life of God fills your heart, fills your heart, transforms you from a sinner to a saint, transforms you from a child of darkness to a child of the king. Say, I'm alive. Amen, you're alive. The reason why I want you to understand this is because so many times in the kingdom of God, Christians are alive, but they're living like they're dead. And God doesn't want us to live like we're dead. So we move from us being in Christ to Christ being in us now. So it's not just about us being in Christ. It's about him being in us. And that that same resurrection power that brought him up from the dead resides on the inside of you. And when you said, Jesus, come be my Lord, that that resurrection power resurrected your dead spirit, brought life to you inside, and reconnected you to your heavenly Father. He says it like this in 2 Corinthians. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? They were dabbling in the world. Listen, they were living after the world. They were Christians. They were believers. But they were connected to the wrong gods. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. You are spiritually alive because the resurrection power of Christ has filled your heart and transformed you and brought you out of death. And we need to celebrate that every day. You can wake up every morning and say, praise the Lord, I am alive today. And that alive does not simply mean that I am breathing on this planet. I am spiritually alive on the inside. And there are so many benefits that go with that. 
So not only have we been made alive, look at number two, because of this new birth, I've been brought near. You've been brought near to Christ. You've been brought near to Him. Look at what it says. This is all about our relationship with Him through the new birth. He says it like this in verse 13. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What does that mean? It means this, guys. It means we can be as close to the Father as we want to be. And if there's anything that is keeping us from being close to Him, it's not on Him, it's on our end. Because He said, I have opened up the gates. I want to be near to you. He gave us the promise, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. How many believe that when He said that, He means that? He will always be close to you and He wants you to be close to Him. Jesus gave His life so that we could be close to our Father. There are huge benefits to drawing on this privilege that we through prayer, through worship, through the word, can stay close to God. That he can have influence in our life. Amen. We don't have to live after the world anymore. We don't have to be controlled by the devil. We can be controlled by our heavenly father. David said this. David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Now this is, this is old covenant. This is under the law. And David said that even under the law, recognizing that God was with him and that he was close to him, what did it do? It gave him courage. See, recognizing that God is close to us and wants to be a part of our life, it gives you courage. It gives you hope. It gives you stamina. It gives you everything that you need in life. When it becomes real to you to live successfully, to live victoriously, it gives you the power and the courage to say no to the world, no to the devil, no to the flesh. Why? Because I am spiritually alive. I am a child of the king. Amen. And God is close to me, and I don't want to do anything to hinder that closeness. Here's the third thing he tells us. Now I have access to God. This, this, has, this has to do with the privilege of being able to go to him anytime you need to. To meet every need that you have in your life. That he wants to help. He doesn't want to just be close to you. He wants you to have access into who he is and what he can provide for you. Look at the way he said it in verse 18. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. You have access to God. Listen, God is not playing hide and seek with us. He's not moving around making it hard for us to find him. No, everything he did for us through Jesus is he did it to make it easy for us to access him. And you can go to him and you have access to him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. At any time, no matter what's going on in your life, you can access God. Come on now. Throughout all of scripture, one of the main things along with being a good God, because they go hand in hand, is God trying to communicate to us, I'll never leave you. 
never forsake you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm right here. Don't ever forget. Don't ever forget. Don't ever forget. I am right here with you. And how many know that when we recognize that in our life and that we have access to the God who is right here with us, that we can go out of these doors right here and take on the world with a stick? Amen. I love this. David said this in Psalms 91. And he shall call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and honor him. We have access to God. And God wants us to take advantage of that promise. You can turn to him. Here's the fourth thing as we begin to wrap this up. He says all that. He says you're spiritually alive. He says he wants to be close to you. He says that you have access to him. And then he says this. Now I'm a citizen. I'm a citizen of the kingdom. You're a citizen of the kingdom. He says it like this. Now therefore. In other words, listen. Because of everything that he just got through saying, because you're alive, because you have access, because, you, because you're close to him and God wants to be close to you. Now that I've said all of that, let me just wrap it up with this thought. You are no longer strangers and foreigners, <clears throat> but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. That you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means you have access to everything the king has. You have access to everything the king has. That you have rights and privileges as a king's child. When you go to rodeos, if you're not a contestant, you cannot get behind the buck and shoots. You can't. Unless you kind of deceive your way in there, but that's not the point here. You have to have a special pass. You have to be a contestant to get behind the buck and shoots. I say that to you because in the kingdom of God, all of these privileges belong to us. But you have to have a special pass. You have to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. You have to have been born again. And when you get born again, all that stuff that he told us before... It no longer has the right to control you. You now are a new creation in Christ. And now you are spiritually alive. The power of Satan has been broken over your life. The curse has been broken over your life. The blessing of God is on your life. But we have to embrace it. John Newton in 1772 penned one of the most famous Christian songs. He did it when he came to realize the Radical transformation that God did in his life, and we know it. Part of the song says this, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Here's what I want us to see today. I want us to see that there was a before picture, but there's also an after. God wants the after picture of who we are to swallow up who we were before because there has huge benefits to us. Paul wraps this whole thing up, and I'm closing with this passage in Romans chapter 8. Look what he says, or Romans chapter 5. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, why? Because we were spiritually dead. Much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will do what? 
will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. What's he saying? You used to be a train wreck, but now you're something special. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God, and you need to embrace it. So I leave you with this challenge in your notes. Declare this over your life. I am spiritually alive and a citizen of heaven because of Jesus. And I'm going to live like it. I'm going to live like it. I have authority. I have power. I have blessing. It belongs to me. I'm not going to settle for a subpar, carnal, worldly life. That is below me. I'm going to connect with who I am in Jesus. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed. As the prayer partners begin to move out of your seat and come and take your place here. I don't know the condition of every person's heart is here. You do. I know what mine was like. <clears throat> Pastor Tony Krishak stood up on that altar that morning and told me that Jesus loved me. I was empty inside. I had sin in my life. I was in bondage to things I couldn't get out of in my own life. And he led us in a simple prayer that changed my life. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're empty inside. You are controlled by sin. You're living after the world. Jesus is here today to offer you the new birth that can begin to transform your life. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior and you want to make him that today, you raise your hand, I would love the privilege of being able to pray for you. Anybody would say by an upraised hand, Pastor Rusty, pray for me. I see that hand. Anybody else would join this hand? I see that hand. Anybody else would say, I see that hand. Anybody else would join these hands and say, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I am tired of living a spiritually dead life. I want to be spiritually alive. I see those hands. Everybody pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, today's the day. I recognize you as my Lord and my Savior. From this moment on, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I am yours and you are mine. You are my Lord because you died and was raised from the dead. I can live also. In Jesus' name, I am a citizen of the kingdom of God from this moment on. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can you give our Lord a hand clap today? The worship team is going to lead us in a song of worship. I encourage you to stay with us and close out the service to the end of the service. Kids aren't ready for you. But if you prayed that prayer for the first time or you just need prayer in one of these areas as we go into song, I want to get you, encourage you to slip up out of your seat. Come down here and share with these prayer partners that you prayed that prayer and let them give you some information and we'll be praying for you. God bless you. Stand up with me and let's worship the Lord one more time before we go. Lord, we thank for your goodness, God. Your salvation, your blessing, God, on your life.
Father, we worship you today. You're a good God. Thank you for the transformation that you provided for each and every one of us. God, help us in our struggles to break free of that past. Help us to embrace the truth of the future. You don't want to talk to us about our past. You want to talk to us about our future. Help us to listen to you, Lord, and embrace the light. Help us to appreciate everything that you've done for us give ourselves wholeheartedly 100% over to it in Jesus name I speak the blessing of God over City Church over every aspect of our lives we love you today Lord thank you for what you've spoken to us thank you for encouraging us we receive it as a message from you to our heart and life in Jesus name and everybody says amen give the Lord a hand clap this morning amen God bless you guys. We love you so much. Have an amazing week.